How you guys doing this morning? Great to be back together and worship the Lord. And if, if a lot of that music was new for you, we are so excited. This is the week that we make history for us, at least, as we record our first album. And uh, certainly, certainly thankful for all that God has done, just downloading great songs from heaven to our worship team, and that was all original music this morning, and so I want to encourage you, we can only seat about 300, a little more, um, but you can register at allpeoplesworship.com, 6.30, Tuesday night in Santee at San Diego Christian College. We have a great relationship with those guys. They're letting us use their facility for recording our album, so it should be a wonderful time, and we'll be able to put that album uh, in, in our hands as a church, but also the different churches that, that we uh, are in a network with, and that's what I've just come back from is two weeks in Winter Park, Colorado, suffering for Jesus. And we were with the Antioch movement. So as you know, All Peoples is becoming a church planning movement. We're launching churches from this church, but we're a part of a greater umbrella uh, movement called Antioch that I have the privilege of serving on the overseers team with. And there were over a thousand of us, uh, pastors and missionaries from around the world that convened there for two weeks. It was so wonderful to hear fresh words from the Lord. And also, God moved in power. One of my friends, his daughter's actually going to come and be a part of our School of Transformation. His name is Brett Franz. And 30 years ago, in a wrestling accident, he tore ligaments in his neck and has lived in excruciating pain. He'd get up and pray for the first four hours of the day just to, to be able to function. It was that intense. It's affected every part of his life. He went to Mongolia to be a church planner. God moved powerfully through him, but we've been contending for his healing for 30 years, and he got radically healed at this. It was amazing. And, and then, crazy enough, one of his spiritual daughters, her name's Sagana, she was one of the first believers in Mongolia. Now her and her husband, Josh, lead the work in Mongolia. Some of you have been there. Uh, she's been deaf in one ear since she was five, and she got healed. Total regaining of healing. So that, that wasn't what the conference was all about, but we did have a, a, a night where we pressed in for healing. It was absolutely amazing, and i um, so glad to be back. I... I heard a great story from the conference of a, a young grade school girl that just wanted to start talking about her faith, and so she's in grade school science class, and the teacher asks as they go into the subject of mammals if any of the students knew anything about whales, and her hand shoots up, and she goes, I know something about whales. Jonah was swallowed by a whale and spent three days in his stomach. The teacher's kind of annoyed, and she's like, well, that's impossible according to science. And the girl raises her hand. No, the Bible says that Jonah was swallowed by a whale and spent three days in his stomach. And now the teacher's getting a little flustered. And she goes, no, according to science, a whale's throat is too small to ingest a human. That did not happen. And the little girl goes, well, then when I go to heaven someday, I'm going to walk straight up to Jonah and ask him if he got swallowed by a whale. And the teacher now is totally frustrated at this girl who's taken over her class. And she, so she just decides to kind of lash out at this girl. And she goes, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? What if Jonah's in hell? And the little girl goes, well, then I guess you can ask him. <laughs> so, um, 
she, she might have been a little aggressive, but here, here's what we do believe. We believe that the Bible is true, that it's the Word of God, and as we build our lives on the foundation of Scripture, it is the way that we will live out the fullness of what we are called to. And so we're jumping into 2 Corinthians today, and let me give you some background on this amazing book. The church in Corinth was planted by a man named Paul. And Paul was on a journey around much of the world, preaching the Word of God and starting churches. He had come from a city called Athens. He had come into Corinth, which was the largest port city in all the Grecian world at the time. It was the most influential city. It was about 100 years old. It was a young and vibrant city. It was also known for being very licentious, very sexually immoral. In fact, there were 1,000 temple prostitutes to the goddess Aphrodite in this city where people came and took place in those kind of pleasures, believing that that was a part of their worship. And into this context, Paul comes and boldly proclaims Christ and meets a couple named Priscilla and a Aquila, they were displaced from the city of Rome as Caesar had been uh, starting to kick out all the different Jews and believers in that city. They too were in Corinth and they had the same occupation incidentally that the apostle Paul had which was tent making. So this great scholar, this powerful preacher Paul came and took a humble role as a tent maker, literally making these tent dwellings for people, but he'd also go into the synagogue, the place of worship for Jews, and he began preaching Jesus, that Jesus was actually the Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecies that Jewish people had believed for. Now, the Jews didn't like this when he preached in the synagogue, and they became abusive. This is all found in Acts chapter 18, if you want to write that down and and study it later in your own time with the Lord. They became abusive. They started hurling insults at him, became violent towards him, and so he shook the dust off of his robes, off of his shoes, his sandals, and went to the Gentiles, went to the Greeks, and there he began preaching Christ boldly to them. And they received the message. And many people were baptized. And in fact, as the Jews saw this, some of the Jews saw the transformation going on in the Gentiles, and they too came to faith, even the synagogue leader. So there's this move of God going on in Corinth. Now in the midst of this, God shows up to Paul in a vision. In a vision, God comes and speaks and says, Paul, Do not be afraid to testify about me boldly because I have many people in the city. Well, Paul would need that word because soon the Jewish people that didn't come to faith made a united attack against Paul. And they grabbed him and they took him before the city leader, the proconsul named Galileo. Now, Galileo was kind of annoyed when he heard their arguments that this was just against their faith. And so he kind of dismissed it. So the Jews get this violent gang mob and beat up the the synagogue leader. And Paul's like, man, I I, I need to leave. I need to get out of this place. He's been there a year and a half, and he leaves behind a powerful church, the church in Corinth. He goes on to Ephesus. In Ephesus, he hears sometime later that there's some problems that have creeped up in this church. He finds out that this church has been infused with sexual immorality, not very surprising since that's what the city was known for. He also finds out that there's divisions in the church, that people are actually attacking each other. I know it's shocking to think that Christians might not have gotten along 2,000 years ago. 
Then he finds out that there's some leaders that have come and infiltrated their ranks. They call themselves super apostles. And they're preaching a different gospel than Paul was. I want to tell you, those things are still happening today. All three of those issues are still happening today. Therefore, Paul decides to write a letter to correct these problems. And that's where we get the book of 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians. Well, more and more problems ensue, so Paul decides to take a visit back to the church in Corinth and confront these false leaders. But unfortunately, the, the, the visit doesn't go well, and he'll end up calling it a painful visit. And they even question, the church even questions his authority. And so he goes back to Ephesus one more time and decides to send a second letter, bringing the people back to the truth of the gospel and defending his ministry. And that's how we get the book of 2 Corinthians. And we'll start right now, if you'll look with me at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 1, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul, an apostle, he starts by explaining his position, his authority, his leadership mantle, an apostle. Now, what is an apostle? Back in the Roman days, this word had a secular term. An apostle was one who was sent in to transform culture. Whenever the Roman Empire took over a colony, they would send in an apostle who was responsible for changing the culture, for transforming it from whatever foreign culture it was into assimilating it to Roman mores and Roman mannerisms and Roman customs. But the apostle word in biblical terms is a sent one. One who's sent from Jesus in order to establish a new kingdom work. And and this term is very important to us because we are an apostolic people as all people's church. Now, we don't go around calling people apostles. Hey, there's Apostle Jim. There's Apostle Susie walking out the door. We don't throw those terms around. But an apostle means a sent one who builds and bursts kingdom activity in places where there wasn't. That's what we've been doing this summer. We've been sending teams all over the world to birth new kingdom works. We just planted a church in Mexico. It's going great. I'll be there this evening. God's doing something beautiful down in Tijuana right now. That's what we were doing over in Thailand as we sent long-term leaders and then sent a training school team to join them. We baptized numerous people on that trip, and God is birthing a beautiful church called All People's Bangkok. You'll be hearing more about that. That's what I was doing in South Africa this summer with the night school and with Blake and Lauren as they feel called long-term to start a church in the city of Stellenbosch and to infiltrate Africa through that great university city. This is apostolic work, just to be sent and to birth new kingdom activities. One of the stories you haven't heard yet, though, is one of our leaders who just came out of his job feeling called to plant a new kingdom work and is doing a pastoral internship with us. And I want to bring up Brady Duke right now so you can hear what he just experienced and just came back from. Just welcome him as he comes. I seldom feel short. Go for it. Morning. Uh, My name is Brady and my wife Julie is up front here and we've got two amazing kids. And um, I just want to tell you guys a quick story just about the power of God and how God is moving all over the world, um, here, around the globe, everywhere. We just have to be there and be there for those people that he's calling forward. So um, to give you a little background about how our family got to this point, Julie and I went through the night school transformation the year before last, and 
completely got rocked by God and just our heart for the nations and what he's doing around the globe and what he wants to do through us um, for the rest of the world to just spread his kingdom. And so um, that prompted me, God spoke really clear to me in that time that he wanted me to get out out of the Navy. And so I've done that and I'm about four months down the road from making that decision um, from being out of the Navy, and it's going awesome. And we spent well, two God, weeks... God was, God was using you. Am I still here? Y'all don't want to hear from me anymore, I guess. Turn off the mic. <laughs> hey, it's my sermon right here. Uh, God, was, uh, God was using you powerfully in the Navy, and yeah. you had a great ministry, and there people were getting touched. People were coming into the kingdom, yeah. and now God said, now go on another journey and uh, grow out your beard and look like Abraham. Yeah. And uh, so tell, tell us, Abraham, what's been happening... Um, so we went on this trip. It was a 30-day trip, two weeks in Bangkok, Thailand. We were part of leading that trip, and uh, it was amazing. God did wonderful things, but then our family broke off, went down to uh, Bali, Indonesia for two weeks, and we had the privilege of staying with two veteran missionaries there. And the first week, I was there with Julie. We were together. That couple was pouring into us, discipling us, showing us how they live out ministry in that part of the world and meet people. Um, bring them to Jesus. And then I got the privilege of going with him off to a more remote island and spending about five days there. The uh, second to last day, we asked our hotel owner to take us off about, um, you know, a few kilometers away where tourists don't usually get to, and he did that. So he drops us off. That was the first time I'd been on a motorcycle with a grown man. Um, (laughs) Drops us off. He leaves. We're left to hike back. And so we start walking, we walk up to this village and there's a woman at a well and we start talking to her and then she leads us to this village elder. It's always a woman at the well. Yeah. (laughs) So we start talking to him, he invites us to sit down for coffee and we start asking him about his tribe and he starts telling us everything. He doesn't see many tourists and um, we start religious conversation asking him about his beliefs and they're very open in this part of the world and so he's sharing and then we start sharing about Jesus and the love of Jesus and he gets quiet and his face kind of changes and we're just talking about a relationship with Jesus and he starts to cry and he says that I saw Jesus in a dream 30 years ago he came to me and it was the most powerful thing that he had ever encountered and he will never forget it till the day that he dies. This was an image of Jesus glowing as bright as the sun come right on. in front of him. And so there had been other groups that had come to this, this village before, but they hadn't sat down and talked to him about a relationship with God and about discipleship and leading him to that. And so we had encouraged him and spoke to him about how God really wants to reach him in this village and now how God is going to use him as a leader in this village. And, uh, uh, this missionary has plans to go back and disciple this guy and connect with this guy so that a, a movement will grow through that. So, Absolutely amazing. I mean, that, it doesn't get better than that. You're riding on the back of a motorcycle. You show up in a village. There's a woman at the well. She leads you to a village elder who had a vision of Jesus or a dream of Jesus 30 years ago. He appears to him in bright, shining light. This is like straight out of the Bible, folks. This is unbelievable. So we're so proud of Brady and Julie, and you'll be hearing more about how God is leading them. To, to launch out in the upcoming days. It goes on to say, Paul, an apostle of God, and then it talks about and Timothy, our brother. You know, Timothy is a disciple of Paul, and that is the primary work of us as believers. Discipleship is our focus here of investing in people's lives. And 
Brady is someone that I've invested in, and, and he is now advancing the kingdom. God has people for you to invest in in this church, and, and that was their way of infiltrating the kingdom of darkness with this glorious light, was making disciples and deploying them into the nations of the world. It says this, to the church of God in Corinth. Now, you've got to realize that the majority of the New Testament is written to churches, and so often in our individualistic mindset in the West, and specifically in America, we just think, I just read the Bible straight to me. But you've got to understand that Jesus was wanting to speak to churches. He was wanting to speak to corporate people. And as I say many times, you, you don't just have a relationship with a head of a person. You have a relationship with the whole body. Look at what Colossians 1.18 says. It says, he is also the head of the body, the church. You know, people will say, well, I have this relationship with, with the man upstairs, or we, we have our own understanding. And I'm like, you don't have your own understanding. You, you have your individualistic idea of what you think God is. But in order to know God, you've got to know the head and the whole body. There's parts of God you'll never understand. There's uh, uh, intimacy with the relationship with Jesus that you'll never understand until you are truly plugged in, knit into the body of Christ. This book is written to the church, and so we receive it in community. And then it goes on to say this, together with all his holy people through Achaia. Now, the, the question is, how can this be a holy people? I mean, we already know that the church in Corinth was a, was a place of immorality. We know that these people were idol worshipers. We know that they had been wrapped up into all kinds of, of sexual sin. How were they holy people? Well, this is the gospel that Paul had been preaching. You see, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're sitting in this room today, you've sinned. And how do I know that? Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner, and I have fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die and pay for our sins. But that is why Jesus came to the cross. He loved us so much, he didn't want us to pay for our sins. And so the Bible says that for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him, would rely on him, would trust in, would cling to him, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. The Bible says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds were healed, that his blood actually makes us as white as snow. So when Paul says God's holy people, he means people that have put their faith in Jesus, therefore they've been cleansed by his death and his resurrection, and now as God looks at them, they're holy. I want to tell you that there's a lot of Christians walking around feeling shameful, feeling dirty, because you have not accepted the fact that Jesus paid for your sins. He died in that place so you don't have to walk in that condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live in condemnation. You are a holy people. He goes on to say this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see Paul's heart here for the people. The first thing he wants them to know is grace. And we say, what's grace? You know, I said grace before my meal today. Or, you know, is someone going to be gracious to me? No, this is how I like to think of grace. My, 
my sons like this little Star Wars action game, and here they are, they're either uh, Chewbacca or Yoda fighting all these little stormtroopers, and they get shot, and so their life source starts decreasing up in the top of the screen. But then there's these little life bars, and they run to, or if you're Yoda, you flip and you, you get a life bar, and all of a sudden their life starts building in the, in the upper corner. And all of a sudden they can fight the dark side, right? That's what grace is. It's empowerment for heaven for you to fight the dark side. And that's what God wants to give to you as his people. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, and peace. You know, the Bible guarantees us that we'll have trouble. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, lo, I've overcome the world. Peace I give you, my peace I leave you, not as the world gives. One of the most attractive things that happens to a person when they decide to follow Jesus is this infusion of peace. And I want to tell you, God wants to give you more and more peace despite what your circumstances are. Scripture goes on to say this in verse 5, I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now, this chapter is going to take an interesting turn because it's actually going to address the trials, troubles, distresses, the despair. I mean, you you see these just in a big list in the next uh, ensuing verses. Trials, troubles, despair. These things will come. But Paul wants us to know that we have a great father, a compassionate father, who wants to pour out his comfort in our hearts So look at this. It says in verse 5, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort I know that in a room this large, there are people that are in the midst of suffering, trials, and trouble. Now, for a minute, I want to highlight very quickly five different common trials or troubles that we encounter as Christians in this world, because I believe as we address them, you can gain hope for future and what God wants to do in your life. The first trial that I wrote down is this, trials from living in a broken world. When I was 13 years old, I was in a football accident. My heart started racing uncontrollably. At one time, it went up to 300 beats a minute. It was a very painful experience. They had to defibrillate me many times. They thought I'd die. I've talked about it many times with you. I remember the night that it was at its worst. It was a night that I was in excruciating pain. I was in a city far away from my home. I was actually next to a boy in a bubble. I was in in a place of darkness and despair like I had never known, and I had no peace. And I remember my mother being let into that that bright room with all these lights and all these monitors and noises, and she took out a Bible. She didn't know what else to do. And she read to me from the Psalms. And as she read, the peace of God came over me from the speaking out loud of the Scripture. You know, and that day I realized the power of the Word of God. I was literally comforted. Nothing else would comfort me except the Word of God. I also gained a huge appreciation for my mother that day. 
so thankful for someone who would sit next to me in the midst of my trials and also for the different ones who didn't leave me. There were some people that just kind of checked out of my life, but there were a few people that would come and visit and stay with me to comfort me in my pain. The most amazing thing is at the end of a couple years of suffering tremendously from that heart problem, one day, miraculously, God healed me. I've never had another glitch, never had another problem for my heart from that day on. And you know, that situation launched me into a big part of my ministry, which is the ministry of physical healing. You know, sometimes our trials are the very things that end up defining us when we meet with God in the midst of them. And I want to tell you, you do not know today what God has in store for you in the midst of the trial you're currently in. The last pages of your story have not been written yet. Take hope in what the Lord can do. Number two, the second type of trial is persecution. Persecution, I have a feeling this is coming more and more to us as the body of Christ in these upcoming days. I remember at the beginning of my ministry, we were seeing people come to Christ. We were seeing people healed. And then all of a sudden, I get a phone call that there was a paper published about me and handed to 8,000 people on my campus, defaming me, persecuting me, making all kinds of lies up about me. It was called Six Questions for Robert Herbert. And that was very offensive because if you're going to persecute me, at least get my name right. There's no T on the end of my name. <laughs> it was tremendously painful because the accusations were so, were so dark and it separated actually people from me. They started questioning me. And I remember getting down on my knees in my office and saying, God, what can I do? My name has been blasted across this campus and all of this is false, but how do I defend myself? And I got down on my knees and I, I just saw myself taking the pain and taking all the accusation and pushing it before the Lord and him taking it on the cross. And right there, the comfort of God met me. I can remember it like it was yesterday. You know, God wants to meet you. His nearness and persecution is tangible. It's palpable. Some of you probably are being persecuted in your job. Some of you are being defamed in your classes. I want to encourage you, go to God and let him comfort you in the midst of that pain. Here's the third trial or trouble we often encounter and suffer for in our faith, and that's self-denial. We suffer when we practice self-denial. You know, there are things that we do not indulge in as believers that the rest of the world is running towards, and sometimes that's painful. You feel like you're the only one not participating. Maybe you're abstaining from a certain movie or a certain book that everyone's going to, but you know it's dark. You know it will bring cloudiness. It'll bring uh, sin into your life. And so you stay away. Maybe all your friends are going to a party where you know it's, it's going to be inappropriate. And so you stay away for that. Or maybe it's fasting, right? You, you actually, what's fasting? Fasting is doing without food for a season in order to intentionally seek God. And it's really hard. Like I love to eat in life. And then sometimes God calls me on fast. I remember this one long fast I was going on, you know, and I always really am like, God, is that really you? Do you really want me to go on a fast? And on this fast, like I was going on a fast, and on the fast, one of my friends had a birthday party, and they had all the steak and shrimp you could eat. That is just wrong. And I, I, I remember fasting and I'm like sitting in my room and all my friends are going to these great banquets and, and I feel lonely and you know when, when you don't eat your blood sugar gets off and I'm like life stinks you know I'm just a loser and 
I remember in my room crying out to God. And his power started touching me, like physically touching me. I felt the power of God. He was coming near and I started thinking, oh my goodness, this is actually worth it. And the next day I went into a church service and after I preached, I called people down forward and I laid hands on people and numerous people started getting healed. I felt the power of God actually flowing through me. In the midst of your self-denial, I want to tell you, God wants to come and meet you. Here's the fourth one. It's actually attack from the enemy. We suffer as Christians when the enemy attacks us. The Bible says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. We have a real enemy, and sometimes he will attack you. Like, this is what I felt that two weeks ago when I went to this international conference. I was slated to be one of the speakers. And that was pretty exciting until I found out that I was after the vice president of Campus Crusade for Christ. And I heard his story, and he had seen 20 million people come to the Lord. And then the next day was Bill Johnson from Redding, California. Some of you know who he is. They were calling him Bill Magic Johnson. And then little Robert was the next day. And the funny thing is, Bill Johnson, he got up there, and they gave him this big water bottle, and he was talking, and he was awesome. He was drinking from the water bottle. And then I get up the next day, and they say, sorry, we ran out of water, but we can give you this. And they gave me, like, this little bottle. And I was like, is this prophetic uh, of of my life? Like, you had this big bottle. I had this tiny bottle. I ended up preaching. God gave, God gave me a great word, and, and praise God, he really moved, and he moved in the ministry time, and I walk off the stage, and boom, all of a sudden, there was no attack. I mean, I had felt so insecure. I had felt cloudy in my mind. I didn't want to do it, and then I finished doing what God called me to, and whoop, the attack's gone, and I realized, you know what? There was an attack against me. Like, the enemy was coming against me. Have you ever experienced that? Like where the enemy is attacking you. Maybe, maybe you're not about to preach in a conference, but maybe you're trying to grow in your marriage and you're like, I am going to be the best husband. I'm going to be a, a, a great spouse. And all of a sudden something just goes wrong. And you find yourself, when you've just determined to be nice, you're like barking at your spouse. And you're like, what's wrong? Or, or you're, you're saying, you know, I, I'm going to be the most loving parent. I'm just going to be Jesus to my kids. And then your kids come home from school. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I I am the most amazing parent until my kids come in the room. The thoughts I think about them are so wonderful until they're right there. But sometimes it's the enemy attacking you, right? He's coming against you. He's coming against you in your workplace. You want to stand for Jesus. And then all of these things start happening and you're like, what's going on? It's the enemy attacking you. I want to tell you, stand firm, resist him, and let the grace of God empower you, little Skywalker, in your Star Wars of life game as you come against the dark side. And see what God does through your life. The last one, this is an interesting one, the last type of trial or suffering we go through is often called self-inflicted trials. You know, I'll have people come up to me and say like, Pastor, the the devil's just attacking my finances. You know, I just, I can't get ahead. I'm like, well, well, tell me what's been going on. And they're like, well, I just lost like $10,000 in gambling. (laughs) <laughs> and you're like, that's not the devil. That's your stupidity. <laughs> that's what, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he said that in love, right? In love, that's not the devil. You're like, man, I just, the enemy's attacking my physical body. Like, I just can't get well. Well, well tell me about it. Well, I've just been on a 30-day Twinkie binge, and um, 
No, that, that's not the devil attacking you. So many of the trials we go through are through our stupid decisions, he said in love. <laughs> you know, I'm just so wiped out. I'm so burned out. Well, well why? Well, I just pulled an all-nighter watching, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know. There's just, when, when we don't live according to biblical principles, and we're not following the leading of the Holy Spirit, we're not rooted in the center of community, the church, with, with leaders and accountability partners, we can just drift and we can, we can make our own problems for us. But when you anchor yourself in God's word and you decide to plant yourself among God's people and you're listening to wise counsel and you're trying to walk in sensitivity to this Holy Spirit, that is one of the greatest ways to live a victorious lifestyle, my friends. And that's what he wants to do in our lives. Scripture goes on to say in verse 8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. Listen to this. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. You know, there might be someone in in this room that you feel like there's so much pressure that it's beyond your ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again on him. We've set our hope that we will continue to deliver us. Let me start concluding this way. I was at this conference, and I came in contact with some old friends of mine. For security reasons, I'll call them Stan and Stacy. Stan and Stacy had gone 12 years ago into the Arab world as missionaries, and honestly, they had seen very little fruit. Just several people who had come to Christ, and even a couple of those had recanted their faith and walked away. And in a desperate place, they had just started crying out, God, do something through us, no matter how you want to do it. And in that time, God connected them with a brand new older believer. And they started investing. They started discipling him. And what they didn't know was how connected he was in the country and that he had a gift of sharing the gospel. And he started sharing with people and rapidly, ones and twos, started coming to Christ until they had a gathered group of believers. They were so excited. They'd never seen anything like this. But as they trained him in how to reproduce his life, that one group became two, and that two became three. And all of a sudden, they had dozens of believers. This was too good to be true until it went from dozens to hundreds. Hundreds of baptized Muslim background believers. God was moving And then they saw that it just took off like a snowball, cascading down a mountain, gaining velocity, gaining mass. It went from hundreds into thousands. And then a woman came to Christ. This woman was a fiery evangelist. She had been an evangelist for Islam. She became an evangelist for Jesus. But the problem was she was married to an Islamic high court judge. And when her daughters were led to the Lord and the husband caught on to what was going on in her life and his daughters, he took them from their city, took them to a desolate village and started beating them to make them recant their faith, but they wouldn't do it. They end up escaping, running away. And that father, that high court judge, comes after my friends, Stan and Stacy. He gets them taken to court. In court, they're before judges, they're 
pulled apart and put in jail. And for days, they're in jail. They're taken away from their kids. They're not able to have any contact with their kids. Fortunately, some missionaries come from another country in to take care of their kids. And in that jail cell, they had no idea what would happen to them. But they sought the Lord. Stacy was in a jail cell with 12 other women, and she said she just was so scared, but she'd walk into this tiny little courtyard and just sing worship songs to Jesus. She said at night she'd pull the covers over her head and just pray with all her heart, and she said there Jesus met her like never before. Stan was in a room with 40 other men, smoke, TV blasting all the time. He said it was the the scariest thing he'd ever been in, but he would just seek the Lord and seek the Lord and seek the Lord, and a miracle happened. One day they're released from prison. Their records are erased from the computer for enough time for them to flee the country and get back to the United States. Then their records were put right back in the system. But here's what happened they get back, they're in shock. They're in post-traumatic stress. And Stacy, who had lost her mother to cancer a little while earlier, then loses her father. Now her, her mother's passed, her father's passed, and then her brother gets a brain tumor, the one person left in her nuclear family. And her brother, in his mid-40s, tragically dies. She has lost every single family member. She's been in prison She's lost her home, and she says she thinks she is going to go crazy. She's like, God, I can't handle anymore. And as she's crying out to God, something happened. God's comfort and peace came on her in a tangible way. And when I walked down the sidewalk in Colorado and saw her, and I haven't seen her since this has happened. I haven't seen her in a couple of years. She comes up, and I, see, I look at her, and she looks different than she's looked her whole life. She's more peaceful. She's more whole. In fact, she was more joyful than she's ever been. In the midst of the most horrendous suffering of her life, God visited her and met her her. And that power just exuded from her. And when she stood up in front of a thousand of us and told this story, we just all had tears coming down our eyes and we were launched into an amazing time of worship on how good God is. You see, because believers, this, this is how we are. God wants to meet you in your greatest trial and pour into you. You are like this. You're like a sponge. And if you look at this sponge, this sponge has holes in it. It has pores in it. And no one wants holes in their heart. But when that happens, when we have these, these pores in us, then God can come and he can pour out his love, his, his real love, his tangible love. And look, I'm pouring this right in, but barely any of it's going out. But you know what? This sponge is getting heavier and heavier. With what? With this water, your, your life as you have trials, but you go and see God and you say, I have to have something to fill my heart, to fill these holes I feel. His presence pours out on you and your life gets heavier with the presence of God resting on you. And then look, as it drenches you more and more and you get heavier and heavier, you come up to someone who's in pain. You come up to someone in, 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 in a hard situation and you can just 
pour out all over them. Why? Because you start containing the presence of God. The comfort you've experienced, you can give to others. And so now I am actually thankful for this heart problem I had because it brought a depth in God that I carry and can give away to a hurting and broken world. And God can do that in your pain. So let me finish with this last amazing verse. It says in verse 11, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. The greatest thing we can give to our friends, our family, our fellow believers when they're in trials and troubles is prayer. We pray for them, we pray for the comfort of God. We pray in the midst of their trials that God meets them. I can tell you, and so can many other mature believers, that when they ask for prayer, they sometimes literally feel like they're being carried along. You feel the tangible touch of the prayers of the saints, but then the amazing thing is God so often answers those prayers and brings a breakthrough in the midst of our greatest trial. And so that's how we want to end this service Today, I want to ask you to do something bold because I know in a room like this, there are people that are carrying pain, there's people that are suffering, and you need the body of Christ to stand with you, to call on heaven to come down and meet you in the midst of that pain. If I could have everyone stand up now, I want the church to be the church today, I want the body to be the body, and I want you to be bold now, and in, in the last service, people were bold and amazing things started happening. If you are in a trial, if you are in a troubled situation, if you are in despair, if you are suffering today, I want you in a moment to boldly raise your hand. And what we're going to do is we're going to get people around you. We're going to get life group leaders. We're going to get staff. We're going to get prayer team members to get around you. And we're going to just start praying for you that God would meet you in the midst of your pain so that you would be drenched with his comfort and his love. So if that's you today, I just want to encourage you right now, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're saying, I'm in trouble. I'm in a place of trial. I want you to boldly raise your hand. Boldly raise your hand all over this room because this is a moment the Bible says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And this is an opportunity for you to receive from God and receive from others. Now, leaders, I want you to look around and I think there's probably some more people that still haven't raised their hand. I want to say, don't be ashamed. We all go through troubles. We all go through trials. But in the midst of them, God can do something. Now, leaders, look around the room and I want you to start going to someone with their hands up and I want you to put your hand on their shoulders. Leaders, staff, training school students, prayer team, go around. Keep your hand up until someone has their hand on your shoulders. I need husbands and wives that are leaders to split up so we have plenty of people. If you're wondering if you're the prayer team, you're the prayer team. So go. Different youth, if you youth that aren't raising your hand, if you guys would go to different ones in our youth group, different ones in our college group, if you would go right now and let's make sure that everyone that has their hand up gets prayed for. If no one's praying for you and your hands up. Will you just start waving? If no one's praying for you yet, right here in the middle, anyone else, just wave at me if no one's coming. Just start waving until someone comes. Now listen, if you're standing around one of these and you're not praying for someone, I want you to just turn towards someone. Put your hands back up in the air so we can all see, church. Just put your hands if someone's praying for you. If you just turn to one of these people and extend your hand towards them right now, 
And I want the, the people with their hands up, just quickly, don't, don't tell me a paragraph, don't tell me uh, a, an hour's worth, but just give me a one-liner of what's going on. Hey, I'm sick in this part of my body, or hey, I'm going through a divorce right now. Hey, my child is a prodigal and departed from the Lord, or I'm in a financial situation. Just give them a one-liner of what's going on. And I want you, if you're one of our, our leaders, to just ask the Lord to give a prophetic word. Don't say, thus saith the Lord. We don't need to be hyper-spiritual, but just ask the Lord to put something in your heart and you pray for them right now. In the last service, there were a couple people who didn't know Jesus and they needed to meet him. And so maybe that's some of you that raised your hand. You don't even know if God is living in your life and you get to say, hey, will you pray with me to commit my life to Jesus? That'd be the greatest miracle that could ever be worked in your life. And let's just raise up a voice. If you're not praying for someone, just turn towards someone, extend your hand. I see different ones of you doing that. And just pray for them. Pray that God would meet them in the midst of their pain. And if you don't know who to pray for, just start praying for our church. That it would be a place where people could come and get the answers to their questions they're asking from the Lord. Get the needs in their heart met. That bodies would be healed. That lives would be restored. That marriages would be put back together. That families would be healed and restored. as we pray I'm just going to have Stephen lead us in a last song of worship and when he's finished you're officially dismissed we just want God to move in these last few minutes and actually let me just say this if if you're in need of physical healing and you didn't raise your hand I'd invite you to just come down to the front I'll have a couple of prayer team members ready to pray for you if you need physical healing we don't want to just talk about miracles we want to believe for them Let's give God a chance to heal your body. So if you need healing, just boldly come down front and we'll pray for you. Stephen will lead us in a last stanza of this song and we'll be dismissed.